But what else is our confidence? Well, that's why I'm bringing you to Daniel 6 this morning. It's something God put on my heart, um, I guess, on Thursday. And um, I want to share that with you this morning. And since it's in English, I can read the whole chapter for you without asking you to read along with me. So you can read along silently. I'll read it out loud, and then we'll pray. It says in Daniel 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no, none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Would that that were true of every single one of us. So that's what they said of him, though. And then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius, signed the writing and the decree. And when, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened into his chamber toward Jerusalem, opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled down upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before, God, uh, before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. They answered, uh, Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth thee, not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king, and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake, and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought, and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and passed the night fasting, neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning, and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, which is, is thy God. Sorry, I'm going to read that right. O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths, and they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then the king was exceeding glad for him, and commanded 
that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. Then, and the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives, and the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto the people, nations, languages that dwelt in all the, dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom which shall, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this text, we're reminded that you are completely in control over all kingdoms of this world. Nebuchadnezzar had to acknowledge that earlier here in the book of Daniel. And you brought him and Darius, very proud men, uh, to the point of, of sounding almost like Peter or Paul, where they're proclaiming peace, and peace be multiplied to you, and, and, uh, and praising your name. And Lord, I pray that you do that more and more leaders around this world. There are so many that we know that are not your children and that have nothing, want nothing to do with you and want nothing more than to stamp out Christianity in their countries around this world. And I pray that you would work in such a way as to humble them because you tell Nebuchadnezzar and he testifies to us that those that walk in pride, you're able to abase. And so I pray that you would do that to the point, not just where they are crushed and destroyed, Lord, we would pray that they would, you would do that to the point where they're saved. And that you would then do that uh, also, just like you did in Jonah, where it wasn't just from the king down, it was from the people up, where people, the common people are becoming Christians and we're seeing great revival. Lord, we know that, that uh, Paul tells us that before the day of the Lord comes, there will be a great falling away. And yet we know that it's your will that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we pray these two things. We pray, Lord, come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And we, we also pray that you'd save more because you don't desire that any should perish. In fact, you tell us you don't even take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Lord, we also pray this morning that you would be working in our midst, that you'd be working in our hearts, that you'd be working through me, uh, your weak and unworthy servant, that you would speak your word boldly and, and proclaim it not just into the ears of each one of us, but into our hearts, and that you would, uh, whether we're here in, in this building or watching online, that you would use your word uh, to impact our lives for eternity, that there would be lasting change because of your word and because of your spirit who ministers it to us. Lord, I pray that you would take those exact words and, and drive them deep into our hearts so that we cannot forget and that we would be able to be men and women like Daniel who would stand tall and stand firm in our generation, and by your grace, having done all just to stand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we look at the book of Daniel, and we see that this book just screams that God is in control. He loves us, but he is in control over everyone and everything, the things that we think he's not in control of, the government, the people around us, and we find he is still in control of them. I mean, you come to Proverbs 21, 1, and God says, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. It's, it's easy for him. And we can see it in history. We see different times. And I've talked with my kids, my son, uh, especially when he says, well, what was happening in this battle, in this war? And I say, 
God turned it around. He didn't want that group to conquer the world. He let them go so far and he said, you're done. You're done. And God is in control even though we don't often feel like it. He is. And yet, within that control of God, he gives us the right of choice. And don't ask me to explain it because I don't think anyone living can explain it. All right, But he gives the humans, the right to make decisions. Sometimes we make really horrible decisions that will affect the lives of many. Just in my devotions this morning, I was reading about one of the kings, King Ahaz, and he makes a bad decision. 120,000 men die because of his bad decision. I mean, what a rotten... I mean, I feel like I have a bad day sometimes, but I've never had that on my conscience, you know? And we can make decisions that have truly devastating consequences for those around us. And let's look, though, at, at Daniel and see what kind of decisions he makes, what kind of decisions his enemy, enemies make, and then let's see what the, the king decides. And while we do that, we want to find that God is in control, whether it's over Daniel or over his enemies or over the king or over the kingdom, as the king himself is going to say that God's dominion never ends. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar has already said in chapter 4. But I want to come back to that very first one I said, that God is in control of Daniel. I want to ask you this morning, is God in control over every inch of your life, over every minute of your day? Or is there something that you hold back and say, that's mine. I can do that. It's mine to do. And so uh, we have six points. They'll go rather quickly this morning. Some of them are, are pretty short, but it'll go Daniel, Darius, Daniel, Darius. If you want to follow that, it's Daniel's distinguished, Darius's document, Daniel's dedication, Darius's distress, Daniel's deliverance and Darius's decree. And you can just listen for those. It'll kind of cue you in where we are. So the very first one, we'll just jump into it. Daniel's distinguished. He's part of the Babylonian government that he's been conquered in chapter 5, but he's amazingly not killed. Uh, generally, when a country takes over another, they just kill off all the other leaders, all the sub-leaders, and anyone that might be a threat, and they start new. Daniel's not. God saves him. He has something else for him to do. And instead of being killed, he's given a high position in the Persian government. He's one of the top 120 people under the king, verse 1 says. In fact, verse 2 says he's one of the top three. And, and now we find in verse 3 the king is planning to set him above everyone else because an excellent spirit is in him. And uh, certainly we understand that Daniel is honest because when we find it here in the text and, uh, that these men are, are really smart men, all right? You don't put idiots in charge of the government. At least you don't try to. Sometimes, sometimes that doesn't work out. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar tells us that God sets over the meanest of men, right? So, but you try to put at least smart people up there, and these 120 smart people can't find anything against Daniel. I mean, they try. They give him an audit, and there's nothing that they can hold up against him. He's not lazy. He hasn't embezzled anything. I mean, you just look at those two characteristics, and it just puts leaders today to shame. And there is nothing they can find. I mean, people today don't have to look hard to find dirt to throw, but these men were looking hard. They were looking into Daniel's past. They were looking into his records and could find nothing. And so as they see that, that uh, Daniel's going to be set over them all, they're jealous, but I think they're also more than just jealous uh, we, we understand that, but I think they're also afraid because if Daniel's put over us, we're not going to get away with this embezzling stuff anymore and we're going to be called to account. We're going to lose our extra income. And we all know that, that that's how governments work, that you know they get this much money, but they might double or triple it in other ways. And so they're going to lose all of that. But because Daniel has this excellent spirit and Daniel is faithful, 
They find nothing against him. And, and would that that could be true of us, that, that people, when they look at us, would say, man, you irritate me to death, but I can't find anything to hold against you before, before the law, before the court, before God, because you're faithful. I hate your guts, but you're faithful. And I, I would like it if they didn't hate our guts, but I'm just saying, would that that would be true. That in the big tests of life, like Daniel's big audit, or in the medium tests of life, and in the small tests of life, we would just be faithful. And that can be true if we will just focus every day on just serving the Lord, walking in the Spirit. If we love God more than money, fame, success, career, or family, that could be true of each one of us. Well, these men come to a, a decision that I wish that could be said of us, that they're not going to find any problem with Daniel unless it's concerning the law of God. And they say, you know what? We know that he won't break that law. So if we can make a law that will put him at odds with God, then we've got him. They, they know him that well. And let's think about this. How long have they known Daniel? One, two, at most three years, because after Darius, there's Cyrus, and Isaiah says Cyrus is the one that sends the Jews back, and there's four years after the fall of Babylon before Cyrus that, that they have, that Daniel's praying, because Jeremiah says 70 years total for them to send them back. Three years is what I'm saying, max. So one, two, or three years, that's all they've known Daniel, and they say, I know for a fact he won't sin against his God. We can kill him, but we won't get him to sin against God. We won't get him to do that. And so that's uh, Daniel's uh, testimony. And so as we moved on then, we moved to Darius's document, and we find that he's not a cautious king. He's not a smart king. He just signs the document. He doesn't ask his, his most preferred president, who obviously wasn't there when all the rest of them present this document to him. I mean, he's about to set this guy over the kingdom, and he's, he doesn't even ask. I mean, is that kind of crazy or what? He just signs it. But yet even this is under God's control. This is a test of what God is doing to glorify himself, to witness to a nation, to prove that Daniel really is faithful and has an excellent spirit. I mean, I want you to think back. I mean, that's what God did to Job when he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And I think he's saying to this nation, look at Daniel. I've got a man that I can put up before you and I can put him to any test I want and he will be faithful to me. And I want to say, if I don't have time to turn to it, but Psalm 37 verse 6 says that our that, that God will make us, uh, now I'm going to have to turn to it because my brain is done. It's done. I'm sorry. It says, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. He will make everyone know as plain as the noonday sun what you have lived for if you're going to do verses 1 to 5. Delight in the Lord, trust in the Lord, commit your way to the Lord. And I'm not going to preach that. That's a long sermon. It took me months to get through it. So I'm just throwing that out there for you. He's doing this to let all the world know this Daniel He's my servant. That's what it's like. And so, you know, our, our, our country's a mess. But I want to say that God's in control whether they like it or not, and they don't. All right? The world, our country, does not like that fact. But God is in control. And I want to ask you this question. Will you trust him so much that you can have perfect peace, like Isaiah says? I mean, Isaiah's in upheaval in his ministry. He can't have perfect peace because he what? Trusts in the Lord. That's Isaiah 26.3. I mean, are we going to look at the news and just get mad or are we going to look at God and say, all right, I can have perfect peace. Peaceful peace is what the Hebrew says. And so I just want to throw that at you because that's what Daniel has. And so I want you to think of this maybe as, as we would think of it now. I've heard so many people say to me in different contexts, different ways, well, pastor, I'm sure God understands. 
And my stock response has become, yes, I'm sure he does too. And I'm sure he understands that you don't care so much about him as you do about your name, your money, your time, your whatever that you're using to say, I can't do this for God. You know, I'm sure God understands if I skip church to go fishing. I'm sure he does too that you have a God called a fish, right? I'm sure that God understands that I can't give any money to him because I got to spend it on vacation. I'm sure God understands Right? I mean, I'm looking at it from the other side of the, word, the, the viewpoint, just using the same words. And, and we could look at Daniel and we say, I'm sure that God would understand. I have been faithful, and I'm going to say 82 years. Let's just say he's been there for two years. And let's just say, we don't know exactly how old he was when he was taken, but about, let's say he was 14. If he was 16, now he's 84. But, but uh, let's just say he's 82 years old. He could say, I've been faithful for 82 years. I have, I have served through so many tests and so many trials and so many difficulties. I'm sure God will understand if just for 30 days I don't pray publicly and I don't pray three times a day, I can just pray in my heart as I serve uh, in the kingdom. Daniel's not even willing to bend that much. And I want you to think of this. He would rather die than miss one prayer meeting. He'd rather die than miss one prayer meeting. I mean, prayer, if, uh, if you can think of it this way, if, if we have plenty of time, we will make sure we read our Bibles and pray. And then if we have a little less time, we'll pray less and still read our Bibles. And if we have a little less time, we'll pray less and read our Bibles less. But the first thing to go is generally prayer. And Daniel says, you can't even have that. It's my time with God and I won't give it up. It's me with my Father. I won't give it up. But I want you to think of something else about Daniel. We've already seen how much his enemies respect him. They say we can't find anything against him. But this is how much they respect him. I mean, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been tempted by someone They say, hey, can you skip church with me to go do something? Yeah. Have you ever been tempted by someone to, that's, that's to give up something good, right? And so that's, that's good if they, if they skip all the things that you could do bad and say, let's give up something good so we can go do something fun. At least they think that much of you, right? But sometimes they tempt you and say, hey, let's go chew, let's go drink, let's go smoke. Let's go do drugs. Let's just, hey, why don't you say a curse word? I mean, we've, we've heard a lot of those temptations given to us by our ungodly friends, right? They respect Daniel so much, they skip all the do the bad things, and they skip the basic do the right things, and they go right to the top and say, let's just try and get him to take away the easiest thing it is to take away. Just don't pray for 30 days. How hard can it be? And he said, I'd rather die. You can kill me, but I will still pray. So we see Daniel's dedication. He really understands that his body is God's, his life is God's. And in danger, verse 10 and 11, when he knew the document was signed, with the windows open three times a day, in full view of his enemies, he prayed toward Jerusalem, just like uh, he'd been told from, the, from, from 2 Kings and from 2 Chronicles. He prayed. That's what he did. He didn't hide it. I mean, I think we could all find ways. Hey, you know what? I can sit in my bathroom and pray. You know, that, that I don't know. Maybe you don't know this, but I mean, missionaries do that sometimes because we can't find any other private place just to sit down and read our Bibles and pray. And he doesn't do that. Right in the middle of the open, he says, you can pray. Now, I don't know if he left his door unlocked or I don't know if they were watching his window, but he prays. And you say, well, you don't have to pray. Well, there wasn't a direct command in the Old Testament to pray. We have one in the New, or more than one in the New Testament. Pray without ceasing. It's a command. We're told to pray. We're commanded to pray. And Daniel's so committed to it that he 
is determined to pray. Why does he pray three times a day? Well, maybe from Psalm 55, 17, morning, evening, and at noon, I'll cry to thee and you'll hear my voice. I mean, maybe that's why he chose three times a day. He doesn't cower and shrink back. He calmly continues an old habit. And note, verse 10, he gives thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I mean, most of us, if we got to just be able to pray and we knew our life was under threat, probably we'd skip the Thanksgiving time. Don't do that. I, I've learned even more in the last two years, if you skip that Thanksgiving time, then the peace of God, which passeth all understandings, will not keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. You have to pray with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And that's when the peace of God will keep your hearts, guard your hearts. It's literally, the word is mount guard over your heart, like a military guard. And Daniel prays with thanksgiving because he has much to be thankful for. God has brought him this far. He's brought the nation this far. He needs... Uh, what, what's he pray about? I, I don't have any text that would tell me, but I want to give you a couple thoughts here. One, I, I said he's 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, and he is way up in the kingdom. He's got a lot of responsibility. He needs a lot of wisdom, a lot of strength, a lot of help. Maybe that's part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. I think if you would turn to chapter 9, and I'm not going to preach it, it's a long sermon, but, but you turn and you see his prayer to God does twofold. He reads Jeremiah, says it's going to be 70 years before we go back, and he starts praying, send us back. He is taking the promises of God and combining them with prayer and saying, God, where time's about here, please do what you said. And if I can give you that, that is something I learned, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, as I really began a, a real true prayer life that one of the most powerful ways to pray is to take God's word and take God's own words and say, this is what you said you want to do, now please do it. You want to send the laborers, send the laborers. You want to save people, save people. You want to sanctify Christians, save sanctify Christians. I mean, whatever it is, just take God's word and speak it back to him in prayer. I'm not talking about vain repetition. I am just simply saying, regurg you know, digest it and regurgitate it out of your heart and out of your mouth to God. And that's what Daniel does. He has something to pray about that he's willing to die for, and that is he wants to see God's promise fulfilled. He wants to see the Jews back in Judea. He wants to see the temple raised up again. He wants to see right worship reestablished, and he's willing to die for that. He wants that incredibly. And the second part of that prayer is he's confessing sin of the whole nation, and he's using his own name to confess it. All right, He's saying, we, we, we. And so I'm just throwing that out there to you, that he's doing that very publicly and he's doing it without being defiant, all right? Have you ever done, I've, I already asked you this, I think on, on Wednesday when I spoke. I mean, have you ever done the right thing the wrong way? Well, Daniel doesn't. I mean, sometimes I, I've seen people do something that they didn't really want to do just because someone said not to do it. Have you ever seen that? I mean, someone says, don't touch that. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? Especially Americans. I mean, we're terrible about that. I mean, Asians, not so much. But, I mean, you say not to do something, and a guy that completely never intended to do that will do it just to shove it in your face. Daniel's not that way. What's verse 10 says? He prayed as he did aforetime. I mean, you come to Philippians 1, and there are people that start preaching the gospel just to make Paul's trials worse. And Daniel says, I'm just doing what I've always been doing. I'm not doing this to shove it in your eye. I'm not making your life miserable. I just want to do what I'm going to do, what I always have done. And I want to note from verse 13, they didn't catch him the very first time. They watched him the first time. But when they report to the king, they tell the king that Daniel has been doing this three times a day. So for sure they watched him three times. But 
possibly, quite possibly, they gave him a few days to do it. I mean, they can say he's done it multiple times a day. So, so the king would have to say, well, he didn't just do it once because he forgot. I mean, he's 82, so he kind of forgets that it's the new month, you know. Uh, he, they're letting him go a little bit. So they can nail him on this. They don't want any loophole for Daniel to get out of or the king to get out of. And I want you to think about this. I think that Daniel maybe is a little bit like Shema. And you say, who in the world is Shema? 2 Samuel 23, 11, there's a man of David, a mighty man, who takes his stand in a field of lentils, and he fights the Philistines there. field of lentils is a terrible place. I mean, it's a field of beans. Who wants to go stand in the middle of beans and fight with a sword against hundreds of other people? You're going to trip. You're going to fall. And Shema says, I'm going to have to fight him someday. I'm not running. Here's as good as anywhere else. God can save me here. He can kill me here, but I'm standing here. No, I'm not moving. And I think that's what Daniel said. God choose the time, God choose the place, but I won't move. I will stand firm. And so he's not defiant. He's doing the right thing, the right way. This is his habit. And uh, so we come and we just want to note really quickly that these men and this king are not too bright. I mean, the king isn't bright, but the men aren't too bright. I mean, forcing a king to do something he doesn't want to do, that never turns out well for you. You might get your will that time, but then you've made an enemy and he's got enough power. He can do something mean back to you later. All right. He can make other laws, but they forget that. So we come to verses 14 to 20. We see Darius's distress. He's distressed and he's determined to deliver. And if I can just throw a joke at you, a funny thing from the book of Daniel. In, in the book of Daniel, there are three kings who are distressed. Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and the one in the middle that we know of, Belteshazzar. They're all distressed and Daniel's at peace in every one of their kingdoms. I'm going to kill you, Daniel, if you don't tell me the dream. Okay, just let me pray about it for a night and then I'll go to sleep. I mean, he's totally at peace. We'd be up all night. And he is at peace. No matter where it is, the only time he's distressed is when he's got to give Nebuchadnezzar the bad news. That dream that you just had is about you. You're going to lose your kingdom for seven years. Apparently by then, he was at least friendly and had respect for and maybe friends with the king. And he cared so much about him, he was distressed that this was going to happen to the king. That's the only time you find him distressed. He can have his life on the line and he's at peace. But the kings who are putting him at, uh, at danger, in danger, they're distressed. Well, I want to note this as well as we kind of move through this text that, you know, our God, and I'll ask you to turn to this text with me, but, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, he could ignore and change laws at will. He didn't have to obey his own laws. He could do whatever he wanted. And, of course, that's not just. It's not right. It's not holy. And, and then you have Darius. He must obey laws. He couldn't find a way around him, couldn't find a way to change But Romans 3 and you, you all know verse 23, but I want to read verses 24 to 26 where it says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, a payment that satisfies God through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be what? Just. And the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. See, God does all of it at once. He can, he can see a law and say, I have to obey it, but I'm going to find a way around it that satisfies my justice, so I'm still holy, still righteous, and I can make the sinner righteous too and accept him into my kingdom if he will trust the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse him from sin. I mean, isn't that amazing? You have two kings, opposite, polar opposites, and God says, I can do it all. It's not hard for me. And so I just give you that to see our God and His wisdom and His greatness over all. But He is completely holy, completely righteous, and yet can save the sinner. 
And so we have these men. They foolishly force the king to obey the law. Verse 15, Darius makes an interesting decree or declaration. He says uh, there in verse 16, he says, uh, Daniel, thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. I mean, this king has advanced in his knowledge of God. I don't want to say, I, I can't say that he has become a Christian or, or a believer in God, but I can say it's interesting that he has faith at this point, but it's a weak, flabby faith because you come to verse 18, he has faith that God will deliver, but he has no peace. I mean, he cannot go to sleep. He is so miserable. He refuses all pleasures. He refuses anything that would distract him. He can't sleep from all night. And he gets up at daybreak and rushes to the den, verse 19, and he literally, the word is, screams, Daniel, are you there as your God whom you served? Is he able to deliver you? I mean, that's what he says. He is in that much anguish. But can I just ask you this? I mean, has God delivered you? I don't know any of you this morning, hardly. But... Has he delivered you? Has he delivered you from your sins, first of all? You who are here, I mean, I, I would hope that most of us have trusted Christ, but has he delivered you from your sins? That, that you now have a faith in Jesus Christ. You're delivered from the penalty of sin and being delivered progressively from the presence of sin, the power of sin, I should say, not the presence, that would be future. Is that true of you? But secondly, I mean, has he been able to deliver you from your past distresses? Some of you younger ones maybe don't have such a big list of the things God has delivered you from. Some of you can give us a whole huge list of all the ways God has blessed you and saved you over and over again throughout your life, the dangers he's taken you out of, the sins he's kept you from. Has he been able to deliver you? Well, if he has been able to deliver you in the past, and if he's delivered you from the penalty of sin, don't you think he can deliver you from the present problem that you're facing right now? Of course he can. And so you come and you find that this king, with all his power and all his wealth, he has spent a sleepless night. Daniel's been completely at peace. And that reminds us what Psalm 18 says, put not your trust in princes. They can't help you. Only God can. It tells us in Psalm 18, the princes die. Everyone dies, but God doesn't. I want to throw this at you too. Have you ever wondered? I mean, it's, it's not often that the world wants to save a believer in, in God, right? So why doesn't God let Darius save Daniel? I mean, Darius is working himself into a frenzy trying to help Daniel. Why not just say, hey, Darius, I'm so glad that you think so much of my servant. There you go. Here's the loophole. Here's how you get out of that. He doesn't let him do that. And sometimes that frustrates us. In the middle of our trial and test, people try and help us, and it doesn't work. We try and help ourselves, and it doesn't work. Why is that? I mean, we get so frustrated with that. Can I submit to you that God as a father wants you to trust him, and he wants to help you himself? He doesn't want you to help yourself. He doesn't want others to help you. He wants to do it himself. He loves you that much. And so Daniel, we all know he's delivered Verses 21 to 23, he says, I'm fine. God shut the lion's mouth. They haven't harmed me. And he says, I'm blameless before God. I'm innocent. I, I, I haven't harmed you either. And there's this play on words there. He said, I haven't, I'm blameless before God. I haven't harmed you, and no harm was found in me, right? So there's no harm that he's done, and there's no harm in him from 
the lions is what we always think of. But can I just throw this out to you? Anyone that is, is let's just say, over 50, I mean, how would you like to be thrown into a hole that's at least 20 feet deep? Because it's got to be deep enough to not let the lions jump out, right? Because they're so hungry that they eat these people before they hit the bottom. So how many of you would love to be thrown into, let's say, a 20-foot hole? Forget the lions. Probably we wouldn't. And we probably wouldn't come out and say, yeah, there's no harm found in me. I mean, I talked to some of the guys that played football last night, and they're pretty young. And they're like, yeah, I kind of hurt. Some of the old ones, you know, that are 20. And so anyhow... Um, <laughs> They, they feel like that, but listen, I mean, this is an 82, 84, 86-year-old man that got chucked into a 20-some-foot hole. The fact that he wasn't eaten by lions, that's no big deal. He didn't get broken when he hit the bottom. No wonder he wasn't worried about the lions. He's like, yeah, this is over. Boom. Hey, that didn't hurt. I mean, this is amazing. They pull him out. There's no harm anywhere, not from the lions, not from the rocks, not from the fall, nothing. That's amazing. And the people look at him and like, this, this isn't normal. This is like back in Babylon when, when those three friends came out of the fire and they didn't smell like it. And so we come now to Darius's decree. And if I didn't say it, that was Daniel's deliverance. But we, we find here in verse 24, the first part of his decree is to destroy the enemies of God and of Daniel. They're Daniel's enemies, but they're Darius's enemies. They forced him to do what he never wanted to do. They wouldn't let up on him. They knew he was trying to get out of it. They're his enemies. I mean, they ticked him off. They made him do something he didn't want to do. And they and their whole family is destroyed. And I just want to throw this out. I mean, I remember talking with my kids about it, and, and they were struggling. Like, why do all of these people, the wives and the children, have to die? It was the dads that made these horrible decisions. And I don't want to justify it. I just want to let you know that the Persians were not nice people. They were the ones that came up with crucifixion. All right? It, I, they're unsaved pagan people. I'm not trying to, to justify it, but I want to just say that God records this miracle because he wants everyone to know that these lions weren't just not hungry that night. They'd eaten their share of mice, and so they didn't need Daniel. No, that's not it. They were starving because before these people, and 120 men plus their wives and children, that's a lot of people. Before they hit the ground, their bones are broken, they're dead. The lions are that hungry. So it's just like the fire where the heat itself blows, uh, knocks over Nebuchadnezzar's uh, strongest men. God just says, this was a real miracle. I really took care of them. And so Darius makes this decree, I want everyone to fear and tremble before the one true God. He's the living God. He's the enduring God. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And, and so, why are we living for something else? I mean, we get so wrapped up in this world, and we want the stuff of it, and we want the respect of it, and we want all this, this glory from it. And God says, it's a shadow. It's short. It doesn't endure. Why live for it? Live for me. I can give you pleasures that are forevermore, Psalm 1611. Why live for something shallow and temporary? You could end up like Daniel's enemies, destroyed before the king of kings you don't repent and you if you think that it's wrong for these men to endanger their wives and children what about you are you endangering your wives and your children and your family by your testimony so that they don't see christ living in you and they don't repent of their wickedness which is worse a pagan king condemning pagan men and women to death because of the the acts of pagan men or a christian that doesn't live christ before a lost and dying world and condemns them to hell 
And so we have in this short chapter just a few things to take away. First, we just want to note that God protects his servants. He protects them from the fires of affliction. He protects them in the fires of affliction. He protects them from the fires of hell. He protects them from the lions of affliction. And we remember that Peter tells us there's a lion that wants to devour us. He protects us from that. So trust him. I want to note as well that there's a judgment you can't escape from. Either you let God judge his son on your behalf or you face his judgment on your own. It's a dangerous thing. And one last thing. Live boldly and biblically for God. Be like Daniel. Change the world. Live humble lives. Live righteous lives. Live biblical lives. Live boldly for God. Don't let anyone take you down from where you are spiritually, but instead live for the Lord no matter what. It might cost you everything. There are people in Hebrews 11 that literally died rather than give up their faith. I can't tell you that you will always be delivered from the den of lions. Sometimes God allows his servants to die. And even in that, he's glorified. And even in that, he's in control. And when you get there, you'll find that there's a crown just for you because you stood that test. It's called the crown of righteousness. And so I would challenge you this morning with Daniel. What, what is it you're going to do for God? How are you going to live before God? And do your enemies know that? May they know it for God's glory forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this text, we are challenged.